no kidding, the girl I'm texting with comes out of the living room of the hostel that I'm in. And we were in the same place at the same time. No. Yes. And like we like had the recognition and she just like starts crying. Welcome to Badass Digital Nomads, where we're pushing the boundaries of remote work and travel, all while staying grounded with a little bit of old school philosophy, self-development, and business advice from our guests. Hey there, Kristen from Traveling with Kristen here, and welcome to episode 199 of Badass Digital Nomads, almost 200 episodes, guys. And today I'm sitting down with my friend Jasmine Jonti, who is the mastermind behind the organization of my relocation program, Ready to Relocate. Jasmine is an online course wizard, and that's what she does full-time working from home, but it wasn't always that way. She was originally a teacher working in schools and then teaching online before she stumbled her way through her first phases of entrepreneurship and ended up where she is today. So we're talking about her journey today of how she went from being a teacher and health coach to a work from home entrepreneur and also her experience with burnout and solo female travel. We're also getting into the details of how she achieves work-life balance working from home with her partner who also works from home and some of their tips for traveling together as a couple. If you're interested in launching an online course someday, you'll also get a lot of value from this episode, especially online courses for beginners and for small business owners. Now, this is an episode that was actually recorded a few months ago, right before I went to Portugal, but we've had such a packed schedule, we haven't been able to fit it in yet. So she is talking about the warm weather in Phoenix, Arizona, where she lives, and you're like, well, it's winter, but that's why. There's also a part where she talks about St. George's Castle in Portugal and this very memorable travel moment that she had there. And it wasn't until I listened back to this episode that I realized that I actually went to the exact same spot when I was living in Lisbon and it was so beautiful. And I I just lived a few minutes away, so I would hike up there, watch the sunset, took a million photos, and it literally wasn't until today that I realized that Jasmine mentioned it in this podcast episode, so that's kind of a funny coincidence, and if you're in Lisbon, then I definitely recommend going up there and checking it out. They even have Wi-Fi, so you can work outside with a view of the city and i saw so many people up there with their laptops so that's a really beautiful place to work from i didn't see any plugs out there they have kind of some food trucks and things where you can get coffee or snacks or drinks but if you have a laptop that has a a good battery life then that would be an amazing place to go and work And then at the end of the episode, Jasmine explains how she and her boyfriend are able to basically live like work from home snowbirds who travel around the country with their dog and go to places like California, Maine, and Utah, and just kind of travel around by season. But of course, that's something that's really hard to do if you're locked into a long-term lease. So that's why I wanted to share with you today a company called Landing. Landing is a company that I found a couple years ago when I was researching for my book, Digital Nomads for Dummies, and my mind was blown. I was like, where has this company been all my life? Rather than spending tons of time every time you want to rent a furnished property, like going on Airbnb or going on 50 different rentals websites and searching for places and having a different experience every time with different houses and different hosts with landing you get consistency and you save so much time it's a completely new way to live where you can stay in apartments for two months or 10 months all around the country they have this network of probably 
thousands of properties in 375 different cities that you can move between with as little as two weeks notice. So you can go from a fully furnished property in Denver, Colorado, to New York City, to Boise, Idaho, to Miami, Florida. And that's exactly what I did this year. I spent the first month of 2023 living in landing apartments around Miami, and I had a really great experience. They're super comfortable. They're all very well furnished and equipped, and the beds especially were very comfortable. And then each of the buildings that I lived in offered all the amenities you could need, like a pool, a gym, a co-working space, common areas, green areas, rooftop patios, like all of the things. And they also have this really cool new landing standby program, which I've never seen anything like it before. And for only $12.95 per month, so about $1,300 per month, you get access to any of their available homes in the network. And then when the house that you're staying in gets booked, you just choose a new one within three days. So it's like having unlimited access to really nice furnished properties with no leases and no commitment and no security deposit for only $12.95 per month is such a deal. That's like an unfurnished studio on a long-term lease in most cities. So you can get $100 off of your first month's rent with landing by using our affiliate link in the show notes plus the code WELCOME100. So just pop on down to the show notes. I'll leave the link at the top and also in the resources section and then input the code WELCOME100 upon checkout to save $100 off your first month's rent. So I wish Landing had a network everywhere in the world, but we'll start with the U.S. and see if they grow in the upcoming years. Enjoy today's conversation with Jasmine and see you on the other side. Well, welcome Jasmine to Badass Digital Nomad. So great to have you on the show today. And where are you joining us from? I am in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. And you look all bundled up over there, but is it hot? (laughs) It's so hot, but it's so hot outside that we keep the air conditioning on full blast. Oh. And so I often am like, cold inside the house, freezing in the house. (laughs) Okay. I haven't been there, but I've heard that it gets really hot, but then people say, oh, it's not the same kind of heat as Florida. Like it's a dry heat. So it's not as hot, but they say that about Vegas and Vegas is hot, dry heat or not. It's very hot. It's so hot that the tarmac melts at the airport sometimes. Oh my gosh. Like planes can't land. Okay. (laughs) So yeah. I draw the line at melting asphalt. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it sounds like you and your boyfriend escaped this summer and went out to San Diego, California. What inspired that little nomadic journey? Part of it being the heat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we escaped the really hot months here. And also just, it's a different vibe in San Diego than it is here. Here is very much a, you got to drive everywhere kind of town. Lots of business savvy straight shooters around here, which is really refreshing, just like the the realness of everyone. But there's a different kind of like inspiration and creativity that from being in San Diego by the ocean, surrounded by more energetically aware people, I'll say, like a little more on the woo-woo side. It's a walkable. We were in Carlsbad. Oh, nice. If you're familiar. Yeah. So like we could walk, very walkable. We barely drove anywhere. It's like reinvigorating, right? Like to have just like a fresh, different kind of energy for us personally, for our businesses. Like it was just really great overall. Definitely. My brother actually lives just up the street in Encinitas. Well, he's in Cardiff by the sea. So it's like Cardiff and then Encinitas is North Carlsbad is South, I think. Carlsbad is even further North than Encinitas. So we lived in Cardiff for a while. Yeah. So Carlsbad is probably like 30 minutes north of Encinitas on the 101. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great little area. And then Steph Smith, who was on my podcast over a year ago, maybe two years now, she's great. We'll link her episode in the show notes. 
she's been based out of that area as well with her boyfriend and they work remotely also. She's like, mm-hmm. has a remote job, but also has a side hustle as you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Part remote job, part side hustle. And so now you're feeling like you're happy to be back at home in Phoenix. Like you guys were ready to come back. Yeah, it was, you know, we hit probably like eight weeks there. I think we spent 10 in total. And around week eight, you're we like, you know, I'm just kind of like ready to have my bed back. Yeah, I'm ready to have my books. Yeah, like entrepreneurs, I'm always like, oh, wait, I want to pull that book out to reference, but it's on my shelf at home. Yeah. Just like some of those creature comforts are nice. And Brad, my boyfriend, really thrives on routine. And so he created a routine out there, but there's nothing like being in your own home and having a routine. Like it's just, he's dialed it in so far that like, I think he really missed that element of it as well. Yeah. What does he do for work? He's an entrepreneur as well. He has a business called Make More Marbles and they teach people how to start mastermind groups. And he also teaches people how to become their own money manager. So he's like masterminds and money are kind of his two things. Sounds like a good combination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know a lot of people, make a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Your network is your net worth, as they say. Correct. So true. So mastermind, entrepreneur, couple, power couple. What is your morning routine or daily routine like? I used to really dial in my routine, especially when I first got into entrepreneurship. Like I needed the structure because I had had a structure of a full-time job and now I had no structure. And so like being really regimented with doing things like I was doing the Miracle Morning. If you're familiar, Hal Elrod, Mm -hmm. the Miracle Morning, really great book. I was doing that. I would follow that to a T, you know, down to like I would exercise every morning. And then I would start my day by doing the same things. And as I've grown as an entrepreneur, now I'm six years in, I wake up and I'm already energized. A lot of the reasons why people had morning routines, like I didn't have that same reason. And now instead of it being like something that would help me kickstart my day, now trying to box myself into routine, it does the opposite. And it puts me out of flow because I now I've just, I've been doing this for so long. I wake up, I'm excited about my business. I'm excited about what I have to do today. And I like get a cup of coffee, get a bottle of water and I like get to it. And then I'll take a break mid morning to like go and work out or do some journaling or reset if I need to. But like I get up at I want to say like six, six 30, I'll walk the dog because you know, she just needs to be walked. And then, yeah, I sit down and I power through like a three hour block taking, you know, breaks in between. And then I'll have like reset mid morning. Yeah, that's good because sometimes too many things in my personal morning routine, like there have been times where I'm like, I think there's too many things on my morning routine list that it's like taking up all of my energy in the first hour or so of the day that can go to work Mm -hmm. because I love my dog too. So what I've started experimenting with is like some of the reading and journaling is sometimes putting it in my lowest energy times of day, which can be like that mid-afternoon slump where maybe I don't really feel like doing very cognitively demanding work. I'm like, oh, it's a good time to read a chapter of a book or do some organizational stuff or like answer email or like stuff that doesn't take so much brain power. And even some days I'll do like a little music stuff. So like maybe mix some music for half an hour or an hour, just like bring the energy back up. But yeah, sometimes if you go to the gym and walk the dog and meditate and journal and read, then it's like three hours later, you're like, oh no, I should start working. Uh Yeah. And I'm exhausted. And so your boyfriend has more of a regimented schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does he do? So he wakes up around 5, 5.30. He gets up before me. And one of the first things that he does is he'll usually read something. He'll usually, you know, wake up, leave the bedroom, read something. And then he does a cold plunge. So we have a cold plunge Mm -hmm. in our house. It's a barrel cold plunge. So he'll do a cold plunge and he'll do affirmations in the cold plunge. And then depending on if he has his personal trainer or not, he'll either head straight to the gym or he'll go on a run 
or lift weights at the house. I mean, he works out six days a week, seven if his body, you know, didn't rebel against it. And then after that, he eats breakfast. He takes a shower. Sometimes he like filters through some emails as he does that. And then it's like into work. I mean, like truly, he has like trained me like just don't talk to him in the morning almost, <laughs> you know, just like let him get up, let him do his thing. And it probably takes him like he's at work by eight, you know, but he's gotten in a full workout. He's answered emails. He's read. Sometimes he'll do some gratitudes and journaling and that really works for him. He's had breakfast. Yeah. I mean, that's a solid three hours because I've mm-hmm. had that schedule, not the cold plunge, although I am working on that because my gym has a cold plunge. So I've been doing some yoga and then going, but like the earliest yoga class is at 7am. So it's like the hour long workout plus the cold plunge, the shower, eating coffee, like that can all take the reading 30 minutes journaling, Mm -hmm. like that can take three hours easily. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you got to get up at five if you want to start working at eight in that scenario. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like a good team that you guys are pushing each other in a loving way. Mm-hmm, of course. Shooting for the stars. So yeah. tell people what it is that you do. Like, what is your business elevator pitch? Yeah. So I lead a done for you course creation agency. So similar to ghostwriting a book, we ghostwrite online programs, online courses, group training programs, mini workshops, challenges, anything where there's paid online paid content. And so we talk to experts, we mine their brain for their genius, right? And we put that genius into a step-by-step framework that a student could understand and take the same steps to get results. So I, how's my elevator pitch? How'd I do? Good. <laughs> Sold me because Jasmine is the secret mastermind behind the structure and organization of my course of Ready to Relocate, the Relocation Roadmap. And made lots of uh, cool titles there, but it was so helpful having someone like you help me with the course. Because when I think about course creators, depending on what topic you want to do your course about, let's say you're doing a cooking course. You're probably really good at cooking. You might be really good at teaching. Are you really good at making the course to deliver the outcome that your students are looking for? And that's a whole nother area of expertise that most people don't have because it's not something that we ever learn as we go along in the first 20 years or so of Mm -hmm. life. So yeah, well, let's talk a little bit about that later in the episode with some of your practical course tips. But I'm also so curious because even though we know each other, we've been online friends for a year or so, I don't know that much about your background and how you even became an entrepreneur. But I know that you've had a lot of different jobs and you've had a lot of starts and stops and lessons and failures and many successes along the way to becoming an online course wizard. (laughs) So take us back to the beginning. Where are you from and what kind of work were you doing before you decided that you wanted to work for yourself? Yeah, well, I'm from actually London, England is where I was born. And then we moved to the States when I was like in first grade because my parents wanted a better education. And what that taught me is truly the difference that an education can make, especially a public education. Had I grown up in London where we lived in London, which we lived in Hackney, if you know London, which is the East End. And now it's super trendy and hip and cool. (laughs) But back then it was like the kiss of death, you know, you'd say Hackney and people would be like, oh, you know, kind of like Harlem, right? Like people used to say Harlem and it was like, oh, right. But now you say Harlem and it's like, oh yeah, they've got cool stuff happening there. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. And I remember like going back to visit when I was, I don't know, like nine. And I went to a school there with my friends from when I was a baby it became even more apparent. So I had multiple experiences where I realized like, wow, education. Had my parents stayed in London, like I don't know what would have happened with my education. Because when I moved to Virginia, we moved to the best school district, right? In the area. We were the first county to give every student a laptop. Wow. So that just goes to show like truly the difference. I was very much like polarity creates clarity in this situation. 
So I went to school to be a teacher because I realized education makes such a difference. And I got into Teach for America, which is an AmeriCorps program where they place really high achieving individuals in low performing schools to support, you know, the kids getting back on track. And I was placed in the lowest performing school in the country in Detroit, Michigan. Wow. Yes. I was just turned 21 and it was a turnaround effort where they had fired all of the staff. They had completely turned over this school to a charter school. They brought in brand new teachers and it was an experience. Now my kids, amazing, but it just like made very readily apparent what I had known moving from London to Richmond, Virginia, that like it is still happening and it's happening all over the country. And really that's what I lean on today when it comes to teaching is like the fact that I had to understand where my kids were coming from. I had to like step into their shoes. I had to put them first and that's exactly what I do every day with the, I mean, like we're working on like 15 different programs right now. And so for each one of those programs, we have to think about who's the student at the end of this and how can we help them based on where they're at. And I really think that if you can teach a five-year-old and keep their attention, right, then you can teach anybody. You can make anything fun and you can keep anyone's attention. So believe it or not, like those kindergarten, first grade teacher skills have really translated. Yeah. Into what I do now. I would think so, especially since we all have the attention of a goldfish these days. Mm -hmm. So keeping a five-year-old's attention and keeping a human being's attention in the age of the internet and digital media is probably pretty similar. Mm -hmm. So how many years did you work in that school system? So I worked in schools for four years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was in Detroit for three. I taught one year in Nashville. I mean, it's like the classic, I got burnt out story. So you just like hit the wall one day and you're like, I can't do this anymore. You know, the first few years were really rough. And I just kept thinking like, it's the job, it's the job, it's the job. Like I was still, I would say in victim mentality a lot. Like I wasn't taking full ownership of my life. I was never a negative person or a toxic person, but I definitely wasn't into personal development yet. My best friend uh, did a Beachbody program, which is a multi-level marketing thing. And it was like the first time I realized that like people start businesses and like you can leave, you don't have to have a job. I didn't have any reference to that in my personal life at all. Like I didn't even have any friends whose parents owned businesses. So what's wild is when I realized that I was like, okay, that's interesting. And I started building it as a side hustle. And then I got so burnt out with teaching. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go all in on that. And I probably did the Beachbody thing for a year full time before I realized, man, I'm still not making any money (laughs) as you do with network marketing a lot of the time. Yeah. And when first starting out working for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then I just kind of snowballed into coaching, consulting, and then it snowballed into I was building my own programs and everyone was getting great results, but For whatever reason, I just couldn't figure out how to scale anything. And in 2020, everybody did something crazy in 2020. In 2020, (laughs) I completely shut down my entire business, which was working, but it just wasn't in alignment anymore. And so I fired all my clients. I fired my staff. I shut everything down. And then what came through in the space, right? Because when you create space, you allow new things. What came through is that I can do the part that I love, which is building programs for other people. Mm. And so then I transitioned to doing it as a service. And it's just been, I mean, I love it. And what were your other coaching and programs about? Was it also health related? Yeah, it started in the health trend. And then I got more into like personal developments. I ran personal development masterminds for a while. I started leveraging experts inside of my mastermind. So like I'd work with a relationship expert and kind of like facilitate it for them. So it feels like a hodgepodge of things, but it was always some element of like creating program content that got people a result using experts. And so now instead of me leveraging their knowledge for my business, I just leverage the knowledge for their business. Mm -hmm. And I guess at the time, were there any remote teaching jobs available? Because a lot of people would think like, let's say 
someone listening is a teacher and they're like, okay, I want to work remotely. So like, maybe I'll just teach classes remotely. Did that ever cross your mind? Or it was more like, I want to shift into something else completely. I did this one remote teaching gig called VIP Kid. You've heard of it. It's like Mm -hmm. teaching kids in China how to speak English. Oh, okay. And I just remember it wasn't my thing. I just realized like, I'm just done teaching kids, right? And so that's where it was for me. But if you're out there listening and you're someone who loves the teaching kids element, then something like that would be a good fit versus someone who's like, ah, I'm just ready to get out of school completely. Yeah. But it sounds like your college education, becoming a teacher and then teaching and teach America, that that almost directly is related to what you're doing now. Do you think that gave you the skill set that you're now using in your business of creating courses? Absolutely. I mean, the we have two learning experience designers on our team and they taught in schools for 10 years or more. And I've worked with other people who don't have a teaching background to try and do the work that we do. And it just doesn't work because you have to know how to impart knowledge. And like, if there's an art to that, but it's also a science. Yeah. And the more you've done it, the easier it is. I think the other element is just like the business savvy of it. And so that's what I personally bring together is like how to teach, but then how to run a business, things like Ascension model, things like ideal client messaging, because they do have to come together with a program, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for people who are new to online courses, can you define those like as a beginner, Mm -hmm. like Ascension model, customer avatar? Mm -hmm. What are some of the basic things that people should know about if they're building their first online course? Yeah, I think first is making sure that you have a market that wants what you have. Like they always say you want to sell it before you build it, you know, so that you're not spending a whole ton of time building something that no one's ever going to buy. Like to build a really good course. And you'll know this <laughs> because I, when you were doing Ready to Relocate, I remember you hitting me up on Boxer. Like, I cannot believe this is a full-time job. Just doing this one course. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton of work. It's a ton of work. I think you wrote a hundred hours or more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's worth it Mm -hmm. making a course because otherwise like that information on how to relocate to other countries is something that I had done a thousand times for people, but I can only help so many people one-on-one and there's many, many more people that need help with that. And so it's like, even though it's a lot of work to teach people one-on-one and to do things for them, and it's a lot of work to create a program and a structure around that knowledge, when you do that, you can just reach a lot more people. And it's also more fun when you're teaching groups of people because everybody who's in the program like gets to know each other over the course of three months, and they're all in a similar phase of their journeys. And so that becomes like the favorite thing of people. So a lot of people at the beginning, like they're joining it for that direction and guidance and the information because everyone can relate to like spending years Googling things Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like kind of like going in circles a little bit. But then by the end, it's like really about the people and like the interaction, Mm -hmm. the one-on-one interaction with me in the weekly calls, the other students, like listening to their stories, listening to their struggles, like someone will say something that someone else didn't think of. And so there's like this synergy that's created there, but it can be really hard for people to know where to start with creating that course. So there's so many platforms like Udemy and like online course hosting platforms with a whole range of courses of varying degrees of quality. And I've taken a lot of courses in the years that I've been an entrepreneur because you always want to learn more and do better and like reach your goals. But you can tell with a lot of courses that, especially if they're like hands-off where you buy it and you know it's like a $20 course or something, but there's no support there. There's no community, like there's no interaction. You're just kind of 
trying to get through a course using willpower and motivation and, you know, working on it a little bit every day. So yeah, you can see, I guess the difference in the outcome, like part of the outcome of the course is not just the information in the course, but how the course is organized and like how it's put together. Would you agree? Yeah, I would say that's one of the main things we fix in programs that come to us and they're like, hey, I want to upgrade this. Meaning like, I think my program is pretty good, but I want to make it really good. That's the number one problem is like they either have too much content or not enough content about the wrong things. Yeah, people want to put like everything they know in there. Yes. And it's like that nobody wants to know everything. Think about it. Like if your brain had a hundred files in it, they probably actually only need 10 of those files and they need them in the right order or it's not going to make sense. Mm -hmm. And for someone like you, I mean, you have like a PhD in nomad life and relocation, right? But you're teaching people who are like in kindergarten. They've never done this before. And so sometimes it's hard to filter through and decide what actually is important and what's not important and how you can quickly help them get the results by putting it in the right order with the right resources. Yeah. And that's how we came up with eight steps Mm -hmm. instead of a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Eight sections, not 100. Yeah. I've had people send me literally a Google doc that's a hundred pages of them just like brain dumping everything they know. And they're like, I have it all here, but I don't know what to do with it. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a book basically. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a book about this too. So I know. Even writing the book, it has a lot more chapters than just eight. But even, you know, with the book, anytime you're doing like step by step how to do something, you've got to really pick the most important things because a chapter about remote jobs, for example, like there can be a whole book on how to find remote jobs. And then within that chapter, those sections, like there can be a whole book on a certain industry of remote jobs or even a whole book on resumes or, you know, Mm -hmm. you can take each of those pieces and then go really deep down the rabbit hole, especially when it comes to freelancing, online business, remote jobs, places to live. And it's like, okay, you have one paragraph to write about a continent. Like what are the most important things to know? Or you have one section to write about remote jobs. What are Mm -hmm. the most important things to know? Because people don't need to become remote jobs experts. They just need a remote job. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's always a lesson in simplifying things and picking out like the top 1% of the info that people need to know. And then also making it fun, Mm -hmm. which is what you're really good at too. Yeah. Well, I still think about your... They were passports, right? Yeah. We have a passport section. Yes. Of the course. But yeah, on the relocation roadmap, like one of the sections all has passports on it. So yeah, I actually just mailed out the roadmaps to my clients the Mm -hmm. other day and I was like getting messages. I think it might be the roadmap I'm thinking of. Yeah. The design of it. Yeah. So cute. Pretty cool. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) That's a good thing because it's my course. Mm -hmm. So when you were in this adjustment period, I like that you mentioned. Uh, the masterminds and that we're talking about courses because I kind of feel like when you stop traditional education, that's when you start your real world education, like your real life education and travel always ends up being a part of that. And so I find it really interesting that you were transitioning from a traditional teaching job to working for yourself, but you also had this personal and self-development desire that you were pursuing. And also you ended up solo traveling a lot. So can you tell us a bit about those experiences? Like where were you traveling to and were you studying business and doing masterminds at the same time? Or how were you managing that? Yeah, well, I was in one mastermind, but I was facilitating masterminds. That was kind of like after I left my health coaching side and started to enter more of the personal development world. And it was so great because I could facilitate them from anywhere in the world. I mean, there were times where I would have 10 mastermind calls that I would lead a week. And so that's 10 hours a week on Zoom leading calls, but I could do it anywhere. So I did 
a bit of travel through Europe. My nan was still in the UK. And so she was aging, which is like such a beautiful thing is that I had the flexibility to go and take care of her. Mm -hmm. And had I still been in a teaching job, like I wouldn't have had that experience of getting to know her more deeply and then like care for her at various points as she's in her last years with us. So I did a lot of that in England. And then because, you know, then you're in Europe. So you just like bebop to other places. So I, I think, you know, I went to Spain, I did Portugal, France, you know, just spent a good bit of time in London. And then she was up in closer to Liverpool, Manchester. And then I also did a big long trip across the continental US because I also have my, I've had my dog this whole time. And so I didn't relocate with her because I didn't know you then. Had I known you then, you probably would have helped me get my dog to the to Europe, but I didn't know how to do it. So I would go to Europe for like two months at a time, but I didn't like leaving her longer than that. So when I came back to the States after like my last trip to Europe, I took Juniper and we traveled across the country for, I want to say like nine months. Mm. So we spent a couple months in Florida. We spent a month in Texas. We spent some time in California and I'm missing a few places, but that was a great experience too. And I could only do it because I had that mastermind business. Yeah. And how was your experience? Like, let's say traveling through Europe as a female, did you feel safe or... Did you feel connected with anyone as you were traveling through or were you kind of like doing your own thing? A little bit of both. I mean, there were some really crazy, magical experiences. Like one of my first trips to Europe, I was still doing health coaching at the time. I had this Instagram account and I'm connecting with this girl on my Instagram account. And she's like, oh my gosh, like, thank you so much for sharing your story. You're exactly like me. Like you're helping me so much because it was a health condition, like a gut disorder that I had. And so I'd overcome it. And so now I'm teaching other people how to overcome this gut disorder, basically. And I posted something and tagged the hostel I was in, which now I don't think I would tag the hostel specifically anymore. Like I feel like I'm a little more safety aware now. No kidding. Like the girl I'm texting with comes out of the living room of the hostel that I'm in. And we were in the same place at the same time. No. Yes. And like, we like had the recognition and she just like starts crying. Wow. Like it was wild. And so like, I have other experiences. That's probably the one that has the most shock and awe factor, but like similar experiences. There's this one girl I met in Portugal who we just connected and we just spent an entire weekend together. And like, we dreamed these big dreams and like went so deep, so fast. And she helped me like through some stuff I, with a boyfriend I had had. And like, so there's truly like some magical things that happen. I think if you're just like open to receiving them and I was never concerned about safety. I mean, my dad, he taught me things growing up so that I am aware of my surroundings so that I am taking care of myself, you know, be in before dark, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I never felt unsafe. Where were you when you were at that hostel? Which country was that in? I want to say that was Portugal. Not Lisbon, but what's the one in the north? What's the Porto? The yeah, I think it was yeah. in Porto. I think. That's so crazy. Like sometimes I wonder the significance of these sorts of things because I think that these kind of synchronicities and things happen all the time. But I've talked a lot about before on the podcast of how when you're traveling, you notice more things because you have to be more aware of your surroundings because mm -hmm. you're in a new place and you need to create those habits and nothing is on autopilot at the beginning. So you do become more aware of the details, but then these kind of, I don't know, like these synchronicities that happen. I mean, you can't make that stuff up. I mean, the chances of that are just zero <laughs> and yet it happened. And like, as you're talking, I'm thinking of like three and four other really freaking crazy things that you would never think to happen that happen. And I see what you're saying, like not being on autopilot, because I also felt like it was really easy to install new thought patterns. It was really easy to install new habits because you're in a new environment, like even just like the energetics of that is 
it's like almost like your brain neural pathways are already firing differently because of the environment shift. And so then other things just become easier to, if you want to like make a change towards something, just go to that new place with that intention. And I feel like it happens so much faster than if you were at home trying to make a change. Exactly. Because there's so many cues in your environment that are mm-hmm. triggers for different behaviors that we're not aware of consciously. Like I'm doing this interview from my parents' house and it's like my childhood home where I went to high school. So there's like certain habits that are probably from high school that I do when I'm here. And it's just a little weird because like you can be away from a place for years, but then go back and fall into the same routines. And likewise, when you go to a new place, it gives you that opportunity to build a new routine. And sometimes when people get to a new place and they're kind of overwhelmed with all the other stuff going on, they can forget. But if you go to a place with an intention of one thing, like let's say Atomic Habits, I know you have that book, Mm -hmm. one small habit at a time that you want to change. Like let's say you want to wake up earlier. You can then associate the desire to wake up earlier with this new location. So you could be like, when I'm in Porto, I wake up at 5 a.m. And just install that behavior in that environment, but you have to do it fast. Like Mm -hmm. you have to do it. You have to be ready from like the first day or so. Like once you get over the jet lag to like know what your habits are going to be. Otherwise it's going to be like the flow or the path of least resistance Mm -hmm. just kind of takes over where it's like, especially in Europe, if you're coming from the U S or depending Mm -hmm. on where you're going, if it's a different time zone, There's so many people I know who get into like a really late schedule when they're in Europe because their clients might be in North America. So they're like waking up late and they're starting their work day late and then they're staying up till three in the morning or whatever. So you have to be really like conscious of that and and cognizant of it, but it is a good opportunity to instill a new habit. And sometimes you can take that habit with you. Like there's a guy who I know in Miami His name is Mark. Shout out, Mark, if you're listening. And he just built a house in the Philippines. So he's Mm -hmm. like moving there. But he was telling me how he's been walking five to seven miles a day everywhere he's ever lived in the world. And he's like, rain or shine, hurricane, tropical storm, Miami or the Philippines. He's like, I always walk five to seven miles a day in the morning and he walks holding a book, which like, I'm like, how do you not get hit by a car or something? like walking around. Oh my gosh. That's how he started talking because he was walking, holding a book. Well, that's something you don't see every day. Like, does he know that there are audio books now? (laughs) Maybe he's old fashioned, but you know, we like our paper books. Mm -hmm. So then you start to embody the identity of like, I'm someone who walks Mm -hmm. five to seven miles a day, no matter where I am. And then you can do it that way too. I feel like it's the ultimate life hack because I mean, atomic habits, right? Like to that point, yes. Like it takes what I think he says, like 60 days to install Mm -hmm. a new habit. And so you can get six done in a year, right? Because it takes two months. And at the end of the year, you've installed six new habits. Like your life is totally different. When we went to San Diego this past summer, I was like, I'm just going to like test this theory that I have where if you change your environment, you can do that in warp speed. Like, because I really did believe that because I've kind of done things like that, you know, through traveling and stuff. And so I was like, okay, here's my two habits. One, I'm going to walk my dog first thing every day because it was so hot here in Arizona. Like you couldn't walk her outside because pavement's too hot. Like you'd have to get up at five to walk the dog. Right. And the second thing is I'm going to go to a Pilates, like reformer class three times a week. And girl, I did it. I'm still doing those two things. And I'm back in Phoenix. Oh yeah. So I really feel like you can take that habit back to your old environment if you just really ground it in intention before you go to said place that you're going to visit. Yeah, definitely. And there's kind of two sides to the coin of using travel to solve your problems. Like on the one (laughs) hand, travel can create other problems, but on the other, it can also solve them. And sometimes what you need is just a reset. Mm -hmm. You just need a geographical reset and a refreshment Mm -hmm. and just a change, a change of scenery 
And this is this fresh start that we all can feel at certain times, whether it's on a Monday. Well, people are like, what are you talking about? Not on Mondays. No, but like the first day of a new week, the first day of a new month, the first day of the year, this is like the push and like the motivation that we crave as humans. It's like, okay, I need to start over, like reset with this thing that you're trying to do. But travel is really effective at doing that. Now, I've written about this too, that like, traveling too much or too many places can also have like the opposite effect Mm -hmm. where then you start to like kind of feel ungrounded a bit. But yeah, it definitely is effective when you just want to like overhaul your, your life and be like, let me just start over. Like I interviewed one of my patrons, Karen. Hi, Karen. And she moved from Canada to Albania. And we were talking about that too. Like, yeah, just start over new job, new location, Mm -hmm. new life. Yeah. She brought her cat. That's good. What were some of the favorite places that you traveled? Like not just the countries, but like the cities or towns or villages that you went to as a solo female traveler? I loved Lisbon. Mm -hmm. Like loved Lisbon. And I stayed in the downtown area. I didn't go to any of the, you know, like there's a couple of good like day trips that you can go to. I didn't do any of that. I literally just stayed in the downtown and um, I'm trying to remember the name of the castle there on the hill. Oh, Sintra. No, 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 not Sintra, but I think it's San George, maybe something like that. There's so many hills in Lisbon though. Yeah. It's the one that you can walk to from the downtown and they had roasted chestnuts. They had a roasted chestnut vendor. And I just remember like, eating roasted chestnuts, like on this hill overlooking the ocean that I had like, I, you know, walked up the hills of Lisbon because talking about a booty workout. And it was like one of my favorite moments of my life. Like just beautiful, 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 love, love, love Lisbon. And now like my family is from here. So I feel like that is part of it, but there's a body of water in next to Liverpool. And if you cross it, there's this place called the Wirral which is like this little peninsula between Liverpool and Wales. Okay, now Wales is a part of the UK, so it's right kind of there. And it's like these quaint little English towns. And there's walking that you can do on the cliffs, and it's all green. And they have, you know, in town, there's like the one pub. And there's like the one flower shop, and there's the one chippy. And like, that's all it is. But something about... I just like love it there as well. I'm looking them up right now. So you're correct that that is St. George mm-hmm. in Lisbon. It's the highest place in Lisbon overlooking the city center. It costs 850 euro. Oh, this is old. It's from 2017. But anyway, probably around <laughs> 10 euro to get in. I think I've been there. It has an amazing view. So that's in the Alfama. And you just really described, I think, the essence of travel. It wasn't like you went to this number one tourist attraction. I mean, it is, I guess, a tourist attraction, but it was like a simple moment of just sitting mm-hmm. by yourself with this view, eating chestnuts and appreciating the view and just like living your life, like pinching mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. That's great. And Whirl, I've never heard of. So this is W-I-R-R-A-L. Mm-hmm. Looks so cute. Known for walks, outdoor activities, countryside hotels, and cozy pubs. Very cool. Lots of cozy pubs. Yes. Love a good cozy pub. We will definitely link to that in the show notes. You can find it on visitliverpool.com. And, you know, I've had some memories like that too. Like, obviously in the pubs in London and around places or having a cider with a friend just in the afternoon, hanging out. And there is this Island called Isle of Man, which is in the North sea, I believe the North Irish sea. Mm -hmm. It's between Ireland and Scotland. And they have these just like really tiny little neighborhood pubs and cafes. And I remember sitting there one day and having cream tea. And I didn't know what that was before I went over there, but (laughs) it's just like afternoon tea, but they Mm -hmm. serve it with crumpets or something with clotted cream and jam. And it's so good. I'm just sitting there having my 
biscuit with jam and cream and sipping tea and like a really kind of like gloomy rainy day, but just being so happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just so happy and cozy to be sitting there. And did you plan all of this out yourself? Like how long did you travel for? Did you have like this, you know, one year itinerary where you're like, I'm going to go here for a month and I'm going to go here. Or did you just pick a place to start and then wing it? When I did the long trip in the States, I picked a place and I had an idea and I did have markers. Like there were certain events I was doing. And so I knew like I'd have to be in California for this month because I'm doing an event in LA that month or in San Diego that month. And then there were poles of time in between. And I just kind of like went with my gut. And what kind of hidden gems did you discover on your road trip? Actually, South Florida is amazing. So I stayed at West Palm Beach. It's on the Atlantic side. And it's probably like, what, 90 minutes north of Miami? Yeah. To 90 minutes about. And stayed in a little bungalow there that we rented. I stayed with a girlfriend and just really enjoyed that area. Like there's so many, there's really great farmer's markets in West Palm Beach. Those same moments, you know, where you're just like looking at mushrooms on a Saturday, like in all the different mm-hmm. varieties of mushrooms and like all the different varieties of fruits that you can't get in the rest of the country. So that was really fun. And then when I stayed in LA, I really enjoyed the Venice Canal. Mm-hmm. And so I lived not too far. I lived in Marina del Rey for about a month. And just like walking the Venice canals at night with like the twinkly lights and, you know, with, with Juniper, my dog, it was just like, it just felt like I entered like this magical land all of a sudden in the middle of this huge city. Um, and so, I don't know, those are a couple that come to mind. Yeah, that's true. Well, I like South Florida. I was there for a while and now I know why people retire there. (laughs) I'm like, oh, it's quite nice here. Yes. A little yes. expensive, yes. but really nice weather and definitely good farmer's markets, the beach. And what time of year were you in South Florida? Oh, man. I think it was winter, like November, December. Yeah. Because like winter is magical. Yeah. The weather is just perfect. Mm -hmm. And then you get the really like international community there and yeah, some of the like exotic fruits and stuff. And then yeah, the Venice canals area, I have a friend who lives over there and I had never heard of it or never been there. Like I'd been to Venice beach. I'd driven through Marina del Rey, but I didn't really know that that was there until a few years ago. And I was like, wow, yeah, this is really nice. It's like kind of like residential and green and and quite quaint. So You don't feel like you're in LA at all. Yeah. And I think something about London has a ton of canals, right? So I don't know. And then like Phoenix has a canal. I just like canals. I think it's just, I grew up around them. And so something about canals feels like home. Same thing with like, anytime there's a really rainy day, I'm right at home. It's like being back in London. (laughs) You now live in a place with zero canals. (laughs) I know. Well, there there is one canal in Phoenix Uh and it does rain like... There's like a month out of the year where it'll monsoon for like 15 minutes at a time. But I keep telling Brad, like, we have to go to like Seattle or something next summer so I can get like my rainy fix. <laughs> yeah. When people ask me what is my favorite places to go, I always say it's somewhere near water. Mm-hmm. So that includes canals also. Like I mm-hmm. love the Netherlands and all the canals around there. As long as I'm within proximity of some water, that's good. Um, or mountains, but yeah, I love Vancouver. I love Sydney, Australia, like San Diego, anywhere that has a lot of water. Are you guys thinking of going anywhere next or staying home in Phoenix for a while? We have travel coming up, but not extended stays. Mm -hmm. So next year we're thinking about, we are considering Seattle. We're considering Maine for a couple months next summer. We considered Utah. So we've got a couple of things on our list and we probably won't make a decision until like January or February of next year to plan for summer. But, you know, Brad and I are kind of aligned in that we just feel like the synchronicities are there for us. So we kind of put it out there to the universe. Like, okay, here's what we're thinking. And, you know, let us know. And then January, one of our friends will be like, hey, I'm not using my place this summer. 
or something. We're like, okay, there's the sign. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we could have had this conversation 10 years ago. I love that we're like anyone who's working remotely or location independent, like we've kind of become snowbirds. Like it used to be that only retirees mm -hmm. could be snowbirds where they're like going somewhere warm for the winter. But now you can be of any age. You can also be retired too. But it's pretty cool to be able to plan out where you're going to go. And even if you do have a home base, mm -hmm. even if it's just a couple months per year that you get a change of scenery, I think it's really enhanced my quality of life so much. Agreed. Yeah. It's cool that we live in these times. Well, let's do a quick lightning round on some entrepreneurship tools and skills. Okay. What is your favorite project management software? I use ClickUp. Oh, I haven't used that, but they have a big billboard by my house and I always see it. It is very, very, very feature heavy. So I do not recommend that you start with ClickUp. If you're starting with project management, I would recommend something like Asana. But if you're doing more extensive projects, like be working with 15 clients at a time and managing their projects in there, it's really nice to have the features of ClickUp. Okay. We'll link to that in the show notes. And what are some of the other tools that you use the most to run your online business besides Zoom? <laughs> the team loves Slack. We implemented that a few months ago and it's definitely increased our productivity and communications. We love Slack. We store everything in Google Drive. It's pretty basic, but it's the best. We just got started with Google Workplace and I wish I had known to start with that. Oh. I just had my drive, but not like the shared drives for the team. And I wish I had just invested in shared drives from the beginning would have been made my life a lot easier. And one more would be, oh, this is kind of interesting. Boxbox. Have you heard of Boxbox? It is a gifting platform. So you can like create custom gift boxes for clients. And they have some that are pre-made as well, but fun like luxury gift boxes. Oh, I think you sent me a gift. I probably did. And it was probably box box. Yeah. <laughs> Everything comes full circle. Yeah. What are um, some of the online course platforms that you recommend? You've worked with people that have probably used them all. Mm -hmm. The most common one, at least right now, is Kajabi, which is an all-in-one kind of platform. You can do your email in there. You can do your landing pages in there. You can do your automation. A lot of automations, not all automations. So Kajabi... If you are really big into community, like you want a thriving community that's not on a different platform like Facebook, or you want your content, meaning your course content and your community kind of bundled into one, look at Mighty Networks. That's usually my top rec for Mighty Networks. And then if you're very into gamification, which is a whole rabbit hole, but I'll just say that if you're very into gamification, check out Experienceify, and that's with an X. So X P E R I E N C. I'm not spelling it right, but it starts with an X. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then when you travel, are you a checked bag or carry on only person? It is for less than a week, carry on. If it's for more than a week, checked. Do you have um, a certain brand of luggage that you really like? No. Oh. I'm always interested in what like luggage people use. I'm a fan of Osprey mm -hmm. and my backpack is Manal. <laughs> Do you have like a cool laptop bag? I don't. And if I'm traveling like continental US and I'm driving, like when we go to San Diego, I take my iMac, like my desktop. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it. Especially if you're not like bumping around from different Airbnb to Airbnb or, you know. Yeah. And you're just in one place. What do you use mostly for housing Airbnb? Yeah. I've also done Craigslist before. Furnished Finder. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. I think those are the main ones that we've used. And then just like knowing friends and like Facebook groups and stuff. Sometimes you can find good places that way too. Yeah. I've started to see more posts in WhatsApp groups and Telegram groups, mm -hmm. which can be really hard to get into until you're actually in that place. But even posting in Facebook groups and places like if people know of WhatsApp groups with foreigners or 
entrepreneurs or expats, whatever, digital nomads in that area, that can be a good place to get in touch with people and find those opportunities because sometimes there's too many notifications on Facebook and like people miss posts Mm -hmm. and stuff. So guilty as charged. Totally. (laughs) And do you have any tips for living, working from home and traveling with a significant other? I feel like travel style is kind of like love language. So like know their love language when it comes to traveling. With Brad, his travel style is to be absolutely prepared. He packs twice as much stuff as I do for almost every trip. And he's the guy. I mean, not to stereotype here, but, you know, he brings more shoes than I do. He packs more tech stuff than I do. And in the beginning of our relationship, it would irk me because it would take him longer to get his luggage. He could never carry any of my stuff because he had double the amount of his stuff. And so, but for him, like being overly prepared, like that's what makes him feel good about traveling. And so it's like just letting that stuff go, just letting him be like that. I would say my love language is more like getting to things on time and maybe even early. Like I'm kind of, I float that way. Like I'd rather get there and have to wait an hour, but no, I'm there. Then Mm -hmm. cut it too close. And Mm -hmm. so I think he's kind of shifted in that regard. Like he'll go to the airport normally earlier with, with he's traveling with me than he would if he were traveling solo. Yeah. So there's just like, I feel like these little quirks where it's like, you just start to realize what people need to him. Sleep is like the most important thing to me. Making sure I'm well fed is the most important. Like both of these are very important, but like, if he doesn't get good sleep, oh, it's not good. If I don't have the right food, oh, it's not good. So just making sure you know that about each other and then like realizing like, okay, well, I don't need to go to sleep right now. Like I'm fine that there's no air conditioning here. Like I can sleep without that. But for him, it's a really big deal. Yeah. And not having AC in Europe in the summer or something like that is pretty tough. We didn't have it in San Diego this summer. And yeah, with climate change, it's getting hotter everywhere. Mm I had a guest that they installed air conditioning in their sailboat. And one time when I was sailing, like our boat had air conditioning because it was new. And the other boat that we were sailing with didn't have air conditioning. Like everyone was on our boat (laughs) all the time. So yeah, AC, important thing to look for. Yeah, those are some good tips. What are some of the foods that you like to have when you're traveling? So I have a pretty restricted diet. I try to have what I can have that's also processed because I'm really weird about like taking things that could go bad. Some people will travel with like boiled eggs and stuff. I won't do it. (laughs) For me, like snack, like nut mix is really important if I'm on the go. Same thing with chips, having protein powder packs, nut butter packs, try to do a lot of healthy fat, like an avocado, like just traveling with an avocado is good. And then when I'm out and I'm traveling and eating out, like I just always try and look for the healthiest option because there's nothing worse than like eating something that is really indulgent, but then I feel gross and then I can't do anything. I'd rather just eat healthy. Yeah. I remember I couldn't find any good food one time on the train. I think I was in Poland and I had to eat a croissant out of a plastic package that was like some processed croissant. And my video editor was cracking up because he was like, your face when you were eating the croissant, <laughs> you were so disappointed. Because <laughs> like when you're really hungry and you've been traveling yeah. and there's like no real food around yeah. and you're just eating like a sugar bomb, mm-hmm. a processed sugar bomb, it's not good. I still will eat chocolate croissants. Don't get me wrong, but it's yeah. got to be a good one. Got to be from the bakery. Yeah. And another thing like with traveling, I could be a heavy packer sometimes. And I think everyone can like relate to you're either carry on club or you're the overpacker. Like there's two sides. Very few people are in the middle, but it really sucks when you're pulling a super heavy suitcase up like the stairs of the tube in London or something like that. Oh God. Been there. Yeah. (laughs) And it sucks getting your bag lost or like waiting for it in the baggage claim. But I have recently traveled, well, not recently, but for years, I've traveled with an extra computer monitor in a box and like excess baggage from surfboards to snowboards. And the actual transit part is like 
really annoying and it's sometimes embarrassing. Like I was sometimes embarrassed by how much stuff I had, but I was always so happy when I got to my destination and I had, you know, extra boots or my computer monitor that was going to sit with me for the next three to six months and that I could work on. And so that's also something for people to consider too, is like, Maybe you'll look like a weirdo lugging your extra bags through the metro or carrying your computer box with you or your iMac. But if it's going to make your life easier later, then the trade-off mm-hmm. of like one day of discomfort could be worth it. So food for thought. And sometimes it's worth to ship it. Yeah. That could mm-hmm. also be a possibility. Yeah. Well, awesome. Jasmine, where can people go to follow your adventures and of Juniper, your dog, and also to get more info on how to create a world-class online course? The best place is Instagram. And it's just my name, Jasmine Jontang on Instagram. And if you want to hear more about what we do as a company, it's at my website, also jasminejontang.com. All right. We'll link to you in the show notes. Okay. Thanks, Jazz. Thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. I hope you got a lot of value and tips and ideas from my conversation with Jasmine today. For me, it was a good reminder that entrepreneurship is a journey but you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to do everything by yourself. Jasmine reminded me that joining a mastermind or a community of like-minded people is a good way to stay motivated and also connected, especially if you work remotely or work from home. And so we've linked to some of the masterminds and resources that Jasmine mentioned in the show notes. And of course, we also have our own community. We have the Badass Digital Nomads Facebook group, Traveling with Kristen Tribe, and the Ready to Relocate communities as well. So thanks, Jasmine, for coming on the show today. And thank all of you for listening. And I'll see you next week for a special episode our 200th episode of Badass Digital Nomads. And remember, you can get $100 off of your first month's rent with landing by using our link in the show notes and code WELCOME100 when you check out.